HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I am excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. News flash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. Yeah. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers. That is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. A good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you're engaging them. They're engaging with each other. And you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You'll also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. Uh, guys, we have a re-airing this week of an episode we taped several months back, um, which you may have already enjoyed. But if you haven't, we want to reintroduce you to it with um, our good friend Peter Shelsky. Uh, Peter is the owner of Shelsky's Smoked Fish and also Shelsky's Bagels. And uh, he's just an all-around great guy. We love him. He uh, came on the show originally to talk about Shiva. Uh, the Jewish tradition of mourning and what that means from a food perspective. And we thought it would be a nice episode to re-air this week for a couple of reasons. One being that 
uh, the high holidays have just passed and a lot of people were enjoying appetizing stuff, particularly on Yom Kippur. And also because things are particularly heavy this week. Um, and that is saying a lot <laughs> because it's been a very heavy time, but this was a little bit of a more lighthearted episode. And, um, we just thought maybe everyone could use, uh, could use that. So we hope that you enjoy re-listening or listening to the first time our episode with Peter. Um, and please go check out his places, uh, in Brooklyn. Shelsky Smoked Fish makes truly the most delicious whitefish salad this side of anywhere and uh, just supporting good people. So enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. And we are sending you all lots of love. Okay, bye. Happy holidays. Peter and I know each other from around the from around the way in the neighborhood. I used to own Brucey, which was up the block, and Peter owns Shelsky's on Court Street, and then also the Bagel Shop, which is on Fourth Avenue. Yes, cool. Um, and you know, we always kind of talk about food and talk shop. And you're just a gregarious, nice, fun guy. And I've been wanting to oh, get thanks. you on one of these shows for a while. Yeah, I've been wanting to do it for a while. Yeah. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, mom, you got a letter this week from someone that you know, yes. and uh, thought maybe if you want to start by reading the letter, and then maybe we can get into talking uh, about Shiva. Good. I'd love to do that. Great. So the letter reads, "Dear folks at Processing, first, I am so glad to learn of your podcast." I am a recent widow. My husband died this past summer, and I am still reeling in disbelief, emotions, and uncertainties. I heard about your podcast through my friend, who is a retired chef. She knows that I have always loved cooking and talking about food, something we often do together. She has been a big help to me through these months because she helped me in those first few weeks by helping with the funeral, shiva, and my days of paralysis, as I call it, when I couldn't do anything that I used to do to care for myself. In the months that followed my husband's death, I began to defrost, and my friend Julie brought over food magazines that we would look at together, and slowly my interest in cooking began to come back. Then she would shop for me, and we would cook together, which was really such a big help. Recently, another one of our friend's husbands died, and I felt a renewal of my strong grief feelings, and certain memories came back of the death, funeral, and early days in my grief. We are Jewish, and the whole Jewish grief thing started to come back in my awareness the funeral home service, the burial, the meal of consolation for my immediate family which followed the service, and the shiva which took place at my home for seven days after the funeral. It's still a blur, but when I had to go to my friend's house for her shiva time, it all came back. Some things were like a nightmare and other things were so comforting. My friend Julie had sent someone to my home during the funeral to get a lunch ready so we could, when we got back, our family could eat something and regroup. It was so nice not to have to worry about it and feel so taken care of. That night, I knew all kinds of people from my life and my husband's and my kid's life would be descending on my house. I was panicking. Where were the bathrooms? I mean, were they clean? What would we serve? What would everybody do? What was expected of me? I felt so tired and weak and didn't want to see anyone. I just wanted to go to bed. Julie said that she would take care of it all. 
She said she had lots of experience in her own family with the Shiva, and that along with some other friends, they would help us get through this overwhelming time. They sent out the word and put a message on the answering machine and a sign on the door that had the hours that we would be receiving guests. I knew there were certain customs and rituals that we had to follow. A tear in our sleeves, low stools to sit on, covering the mirrors, and food, lots of Jewish-style foods. What I remember is a constant stream of faces, some familiar, some not. Most people were lovely and calm. Some looked at me with that pathetic, pitying face that I hated. I don't like to be the center of attention. It was so hard. I was sensitive to people talking too loud or asking me too many questions. Over and over, how are you with that tilted head? How do you think I am, I thought to myself. In the end, Julie and my friends did it all. They cleaned, hosted, protected me, helped me take care of myself, fed me, kept me from crashing. I realized that first week of their support was like a cushion. I have crashed many times since, but I would have cracked that first week if it hadn't been for their, them there to soften the blow. Your podcast is very interesting to me as a person who is so deeply grieving. I am able to help others a little now because of my experience. Talking about it is so important. Thanks for spreading the word that we all need to help each other. Wow. That is a really sweet and very honest letter. Um, and I think kind of just wraps up, uh, sums up the grieving process, right? It's part it does. sweet and part like, get out of my face. And like, yeah. you don't know it, how to It, it gives a whole lot of insight yeah. that, that I don't yeah. think, you know, someone in my position, you know, selling food for these things mm. sees that part of it. I mean, we, we know what we're offering, but we, we don't know what we're offering. Yeah. Really. And I think that that offers a, a great deal of insight. Do you, so what's it like when somebody comes to your store and orders for a shiva? Um, so mostly it is friends and, and family. Right. It's, it's usually not, you know, not the, the not the spouse or, right. or, or the kids. Um, usually sometimes right. it, sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and often because we're, you know, a pretty tight community, um, we'll get several phone calls from people who are going, you know, wanting to buy things for the Shiva. Or for the same family. Um, for the same family. Right. So then uh. we, you know, we have to guide them so they're not getting too much of one thing. That's and, a good point. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of, when, when non-Jews call, the question is always, you know, I don't, I don't know what to, what to get, what's right. Right. And, and the same way there's no right or wrong thing to say because nobody knows what the right that's thing to exactly. say is. Right. Um, you're just giving something, and mm-hmm. and um, that's that's really enough. Uh, you know, I, I I like to guide people into giving something sweet. Uh-huh. Um, I think sweetness always always sort of the flavor sort of you know lends itself to the emotion. Um, so I, I try to guide them that way. But like what? What would you? Um, a sweets platter of rugula uh-huh. and, and babka and honey cake and Yum. and coconut macaroons. Um, sugar, you know, sugar puts a smile on your face. Yeah, it does. Um, and and you know that tends to help. Interesting. So, do you feel like when the widow or the children do come in and you know that you're interacting with them, does it feel like uh, you know there are some moments? Actually, we talked about uh, a short story recently called "A Small Good Thing," a Raymond Carver story. It was about a baker. And, you know, he had, do you, are you familiar with the story? No. He has, like, an altercation with the family because the family orders food and then they don't come pick it up because their son actually had died. And so, but then at the end, he ends up making them some, some biscuits or, uh, and then it's, he's basically telling them everyone needs a small good thing. And so it's like a nurturing right. thing. It's mm-hmm. a story of nurturing from right. someone who provides food in, in the restaurant. And even still, I experience that. Do you feel either when, like, particularly I would think maybe when the family comes in, is there a feeling of, like, intense connection via nurturing or is it? 
it's, stop at the. It's definitely, and it's what's interesting is that it's something that my mother gave me through her cooking. It's, it's you know, we feed we feed mm-hmm. to nurture people, yeah. right? There was a uh, I keep getting this ad on on Instagram for for uh, Thomas Keller's masterclass, uh-huh. and 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 he says that one day a French chef told him that cooks cook to nurture people, yeah, mm-hmm. and and that is absolutely more true with with the with the shiva arrangements mm-hmm. than than anything else um we had a, a lady came in uh last week um that her husband had passed away and she was ordering for her for her own shiva and she you could tell she was just dizzy from everything going yes. on yeah. um and so you know we walked her through it and and did everything and and uh, my wife had pointed out uh she, so i guess one of her co-workers saw on a local blog that the woman had posted about her experience at Shelsky's and, oh. and you know it's really rare in this business as you know <laughs> to hear people say good things about you they go out of their way to say all the bad <laughs> stuff stuff um so it was it was really nice to to see that we treated that situation well because you rarely get that feedback 100 percent, and yeah. I think that you know it's really easy to get caught up in that other part right and not just yeah. like the bad you know criticisms from customers which you know I'm sure are infrequent for you because you have a great place but they happen to everyone um, but, you know, just the other stuff, the broken pipes, the month of business that can be slow, the, you know, construction that's going on in front, the employees that don't show up, you know, it's all of that stuff. It happens all the time. Well, it's everybody like, needs affirmation. Right. But, and I think, you know, an affirmation of being like, hey, your place is really great is wonderful. But, yeah. but being afforded the opportunity to care for someone in their worst time. It makes a huge difference. It's amazing. The, I mean, the Shiva actually makes you slow down. When, when I get to offer that to someone, it makes me feel like a human being again. Right. Um, not just a, a grunt worker, um, which is what, <laughs> unfortunately what most of my <laughs> life business, is like these right? days. I know. Um, yeah. So it, it, it does afford that opportunity, yeah. um, which, you know, is, is nice. Um, you feel like you're making a difference in somebody's life when their life is so hard and so Difficult. It is. I mean, we, we try to have we try to have levity in these situations. Um, you know, it's 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 not always easy, and it depends. It's situational. It depends on on the person that's talking to us. Um, you know, we we sell T-shirts that say "Your Shiva, We Deliver." Oh, I'm kidding. That's so that, that, I love that, it. that my mother actually came up with when <laughs> I, I was I was running around making deliveries, and my last one was a Shiva. So she's like, "What are you up to?" I said, oh, "I'm making deliveries. I got a Shiva." She's like, "Well, your Shiva, We Deliver." I said, "Wow, that's got to go on a T-shirt." <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and 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 we sell those four to one over all our other shirts. That's amazing. Um, which is amazing. People people like that. Yeah. You know, why had one woman came in? I, we put it on our A-frame chalkboard sign one day. Mm. And I had a woman came in and, and got in my face and yelled at me about oh, really? it. Really? Don't you know what a people wonder? I was like, oh. yeah. And and a week later, another woman came in because I had the sign out uh, again, and and she said, I, I lost my husband three weeks ago, and that sign was the first time I've smiled. Smiled. It, it just made me chuckle, and you know. Yeah. It's 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 nice to be able to do that for somebody. And, it, it really is. You know. And you're also really it is worth mentioning that you're very bold with your signs on the A frame. <laughs> I <And> am. <laughs> I, I love it. Every time I walk by and I see an anti-Trump thing that you've tied into smoked fish. <laughs> wait until you see tomorrow's sign. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I can't it's, wait. It, it's great. Don't spoil. <laughs> Actually, it. it's going to rain tomorrow, which really oh, no. it's a bummer. I know it's terrible. It's literally rain on our parade. Um, no, but it's it's important. And I think just actually taking a step like that to make you know bring some levity and joy into the grieving process is really bold and really necessary and i think very something that is very i don't know typical of jewish culture i mean we're we are jewish 
by heritage. I mean, we're not practicing. I think similarly to you, we don't, you know, practice and go to a temple, but we're Jewish, you know, in our... I have a pig tattooed on my own. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) But... um, It's a kosher pig. There is something, I think, I think it, personally, tell me what you guys think. I think it comes from uh, centuries and and millenniums of uh, survival and needing to survive. And I think when you are part of a persecuted group of people you find a way to get through it and with humor with food with celebrating through things that are really shitty because how else you know what I mean Uh, and I think lots of different persecuted cultures and groups of people um, do that in their own way and I think Jews definitely do and I think they do it celebration through food definitely well my my, I remember my mother got me a Hanukkah card one year and uh, it said Hanukkah is not really a major holiday, but it's got the same theme as all other Jewish holidays. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, so yeah, well, Bobby's mo- my grandma and Bobby's mother was a Holocaust survivor, and she was just the most joyous person. And other, she loved to celebrate, and she knew how to do it perfectly. And beyond being a Holocaust survivor, I, I wish we had her picture here. Now yeah. we have it all over my house. It's a picture of her, her 90th birthday. Beautiful, beautiful woman holding a glass of wine, toasting. Yeah. And that was her. Yeah, that was her. You know? yeah. That's awesome. And I think yeah. a lot of, yeah, I think it's indicative of the Jewish culture. But I thought what was interesting about this letter was when she said, I don't want to be pitied. Yes. And that everybody, and she called the tilted heads. Oh, that's, and you can see right? it. You yeah. know exactly yeah. what she's talking oh, about. Yeah. yeah. You know, and how are you? Yeah. Oh, exactly. you know. Right. And it's hard because people want to, people feel uncomfortable, which is actually a big reason why we're doing this podcast because yes. people feel uncomfortable in the face of grief. And you don't know how to act to the other person. Yes, the tilted heads is annoying, but the yeah. head tilter themselves is also probably not well versed because grief and death is something that we really like shy away from facing in this culture. And this country right. you know we aren't like fully embracing it we don't do death meditation like they do in other cultures right. we don't have the grandparents laid out in the house like we used to a hundred years ago you know what i mean so i think that just part of the tilted head thing to be fair to the ted head exactly. tilter exactly we're is a death denying society we are a death denying society yeah. so it's hard to know what to do but right. pity yeah. is also my father tells a story about a friend that he had that used to laugh at funerals because he <laughs> didn't know what else to do. It was like yeah. a nervous tick. Sure. And, and right. um, you know, kind of sucked for the people around it. <laughs> Can you imagine? I like, bet. Yeah. Dude, stop. Yeah, that's terrible. What are you doing? Um, Peter, I have a question. Do yeah. you have any personal experiences with Shivas that you've been a part of, either a family member or like a close friend that you can talk about? Um, I, family member, the last Shiva I went to was my grandmother's. Um, and uh, she was 99 when she passed mm-hmm. away. Um, and I was actually the last one that got to spend a few minutes with her before. So mm. um, it was really meaningful. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't have memories of that Shiva. That mm. Nothing sticks out from that Shiva. How old were you? Uh, this was not that long ago. Um, I This was must have been five years five years ago, okay. some four uh-huh. years ago, maybe, right. um, you know, I, I brought the food. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> obviously as I, as I do, um, you know, yeah. uh, but I did go to a Shiva a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Um, uh, one of my very close friends from college, his father passed away mm. and, um, I, you know, drove down to all the way down by Long Beach Island. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and, and, uh, brought, you know, platters of food and I, and I got to see what the food did. Yeah, so which was really cool. See. Just 
it just lightens everyone up. It, 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 they're, they're, you know, I got hugs that were the deepest, biggest hugs ever. Um, and, and it's, it's something around which everyone could sit down and talk about good things about the celebration of, of this person's life. And, right. and this guy was by all accounts, a, I mean, a super mensch of a guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the stories that were told were, were, you know, they make you feel like, oh man, I got to do better. Really? This, this, that kind of guy. That's yeah. incredible. Um, and, and I think the food being around food makes people, you know, sort of celebrate and, and, and celebrate the life, which is what you're there to do at a yeah. Shiva. You're not, you know, you're not there to, to, you know, be down and, and depressed. You're there to raise the spirits of, of, of those who are in mourning and, and, Food is the big part of that. Yeah, it's really all about them. And, you know, part of the message of a shiva is to take care of the mourners, you know, emotionally, spiritually, and nutritionally. And it's the concept that really, I, I don't know if it's in the Torah or where it's written, but it's it's pretty much known that the mourners are not supposed to take care of anything. They're not supposed to worry about anything. They're not supposed to take care of anything. You know, their friends and family are there to support them through all the natural things of life. And um, some of the other concepts about Shiva is that um, besides the mourners not doing anything, that other people are taking care of them, is that um, very often the mirrors are covered and people are always wondering what that is. And part of it is that the mourners are not to worry about their own, not just vanity, but, you know, they don't have to shower if they don't want to they don't have to dress if they don't want to they don't have to worry about anything right and it's also supposed to not be about any kind of personal thing right so no vanity no thinking of yourself no looking at yourself it's cool if your mascara is like (laughs) yeah pouring down your face yeah and they're supposed to sit on a a lower stool you know and the purpose of that is to um represent the deep grief the depth of the grief um there's a tear on their sleeve they often either wear a torn piece of fabric or they tear actually their own sleeve which is to show that you know the tearing of somebody from their life so you know there's lots of ritual and a a lot of it is about ritual but most often it's really about the grievers and their being able to focus on their loved one you know it's a it's a group of people that come together and sometimes they haven't seen each other in a long while so part of the the um the mode is to not it's not a party and it's not meant that you're talking about your own family and how long it has been since you've seen them. You know, the real focus is on the, the mourners and the people who are there to grieve. And um, as we heard in that woman's letter, she, she at times she noticed that people were talking loud and it was disconcerting to her. It was, you know, she was right. describing that it, she needed calm. It was right. hard enough to have 100 people walk at her house, mm-hmm. but if they were all telling stories and... Because, yeah. you know, when you meet with people, all of a sudden the energy changes. Sure. So one of the other things that's important is is to follow the lead of the person that's mourning. Sure. Mm. I learned this really wonderful quote some, uh, one day from a, a bereavement specialist. And he, he was talking about children, but it fits for everybody. And he said, you invite them to dance, but you let them lead. Ah. So what that really means is that, you know, you let them know you're available, but you let them lead the way as to what they need. Right. So sometimes there's silence. Sometimes you go there and this you don't have to start a story or say anything. You know, you just kind of follow their lead. Sometimes yeah. you're sitting in silence. Yeah. And sitting and being. And, and silence being. can be uncomfortable sometimes. Exactly. But, but, you know, you need to remind yourself that, again, you're there for that person. Exactly. And if that's, if that's 
what's comfortable for them. Yeah. Exactly. As we're sitting here, I'm just thinking about locks. I really... As am I. <laughs> barely stand it. I'm also thinking a lot about locks. What kind of foods do you normally deliver to a shiva? Um, we <laughs> I like that. It was good. <laughs> um, you know, ba- bagels and, and smoked salmon and whitefish and... Uh, lots of lots of the sweets, the rugula, um, halva. Mm. Um, always always good to have halva. some halva. <laughs> I have a chunk of halva in my freezer right now, left over from Thanksgiving. So we did a kind of Middle Eastern style Thanksgiving, and I just pull. It's like a pretty big brick. Now it's actually much smaller, but I've been pulling it out of the freezer, uh, nibbling on it like a rat. Frozen, frozen. <laughs> yes. How is frozen halva? It is. I mean, how could that be bad? I don't know why. I'm delicious. Asking how it's delicious. Yeah. It's, it's so good. good. And we had it initially because we did a dish this Thanksgiving of roasted sweet potatoes with cardamom butter and halva crumbled on top. Yummy. It was sounds so insane. Good. It was so good. It was so good. That's a, a halva sidebar. So tell us what halva is. Halva is a... So actually many different cultures have halva. There's, oh, there's oh. Indian halva. There's, oh. you know... Jewish and, and Middle Eastern hava, which is basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is crushed sesame seeds all ground up and then mm-hmm. compacted and pressed with sugar or honey or some mm-hmm. sweetening agent mm-hmm. um, and different flavors. There are, there's chocolate hava and mm-hmm. raspberry and white chocolate and lemon and pistachio. Get and out of here. It. Um, <laughs> it's really great stuff. Yeah. Um, hava is delicious. It's actually good if, if, if you're the kind of person that wants – your shiva to be a silent shiva mm-hmm. it makes your you know mouth stick together and you know every, everyone will shut up. So I've never been to a shiva before. Oh, Bobby, have you? Uh, yes. Okay. Did we have? Did was there was not one when Grandma passed away? No. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I didn't want the attention. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um. What is it? Have you ever been into one where you had to sit for the whole seven days? No. Because no and one. Sometimes people do it for three days. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually a process with family members where they're, in the beginning, it's friends sitting Shiva, but after that, they're doing prayers for a period of time. They're saying a Kaddish for a period of time. What's a Kaddish? A Kaddish is a prayer for the dead. Okay. So... I I was actually impressed. I couldn't believe it that I I remembered it, because I haven't been to synagogue in like 24 like 30 years. I mean, I, I right. you know, I'm an atheist. I don't practice at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm raising two little, you know, atheist, like godless <laughs> liberal children in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's very um, cool. <laughs> but, but I, when we were at this, at the Shiva, um, a few weeks ago and you know, there, we stood up and, and did the mourner's cottage and it just, it all came back came to back. me and I, yeah. you, you don't forget it. What does yeah. it mean? What are, what is the prayer about? Do we you're, know? you're asking the wrong Jew. You're okay. asking the wrong Jew. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, any real Jews out there, please call us and let us know. But I do know that people often go to temple after they have had a loss, uh-huh. and they will go for a period of 30 days. Um, if it's apparent, you have to go for, I think it's 11 months, and you go every day to say time. the Kaddish. Wow. You know, I have clients who have lost their children and they do their own version of it. I mean, they right. may do it for three years. Sure. You know, how, but they want to say it. It's something they can do a few times a day. Right. It's, you know, we all have our own ways of praying and it's a prayer for the dead. Right. The thing that I'm really compelled to about uh, Shiva and researching it more closely is that it really is like facing grief like head on. Absolutely. It's saying like, we're going to do this. It's going to be messy. You know, I was actually in preparation watching a a movie that it really wasn't great. A great movie. Unfortunately, I really like Jason Bateman. 
Uh, he made a movie called This Is Where I Leave You. And uh, all the acting was great, didn't work together. That being said, um, it was about sitting Shiva. Oh, really? It was about a family that gets together and sits Shiva and about everything. So they really like laid it out. And the, oh. the point of it was really great. It was like everyone's bringing their own shit to the table, but mm-hmm. we're going to sit here and we're going to face the pain and grief. We're going to spend time under this roof. And I think it's brave because, I, again, to come back to the point that I think societally we tend to run from death from death we're scared of it when it happens we're scared of talking about it before and when it actually does happen it's really easy I mean I lost my dad two years ago and I feel like um I really had to force myself to face it head on you know Mm -hmm. um because it's really easy to hide from it because it is actually just so so painful and uh I really appreciated the message that the shiva sends like of not running from it and yes. just sitting there and eating through it and being really like honoring somebody's life in that way, which also yes. is really fucking hard yeah. because grief is a time that you can become extremely self-involved and the whole message of like, you know, this is about remembering the person and of covering me. I, I like that. It's, but you do I think it with it's help very healthy. And you do it with help of yeah, your community. friends. Yeah, community. Life is messy, isn't it? Yeah. Life sure is, is awfully and, fucking and, messy. And dealing with death is messy. Yeah. Death, death, death isn't messy. Yeah. Death, that's no. the clean part. Right. It's, it's, it's the, those of us that are still around that have to deal with it. Yeah. And, and I think you make a great point that, that Shiva is, is, is like that mess on display. Yeah. It's right? brave. It is. It's really it is. brave. And but Jews are, are brave people. But it's also cushioned. You know, you know, Zara. That's I, true. I, I, I have this thing called the turtle principle. And I learned this when I was working in hospice for, which I did for many years, 12 years. And I learned that people need to protect themselves, and then they stick their head out, and then they protect themselves. So I kind of like the turtle. And if you come in my office now, I have a hundred turtles because all my clients give me turtles. I never buy them, but they give me these turtles. And it just represents that ability to face things, but then hide and comfort yourself and face things and hide. And I think Shiva is a little bit like that because, yes, everybody is aware of the death. They're talking about the person who died, instead of not talking about them and, like, no one's saying anything and being afraid to say something, they're taking out albums, they're looking at pictures, they're telling stories. But then they're also eating rugula, and they're hugging each other, and they're, you know, so they're softening the blow. Like that woman said in the letter, she felt like it was a cushion. Shiva felt like a cushion. Yeah. I thought that was lovely. I mean, going back to what I was saying before about people who... I mean, I researched, I have researched a bunch of different death cult, uh, r- rituals in different cultures. And what I've found is that the people who are most robust in their grieving process and that kind of make it a celebration and don't run from it and face it and either have these, like, in Puerto Rican culture or Dominican culture, they do these big feasts that last for like a week long and everybody stays up for a week and their 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 pork is a lot better than yes that is true they do have a better (laughs) pernil but um i think it just you know i don't know i think there's something in there about folks who have had endured hardship and struggle are better at being able to really face what the hardest hardship ship and struggle which is death 
you know, and and I mean, some people, some folks are just more buttoned up than other folks, and that can be really in any culture. But I went to a neighbor's funeral when I lived in Carroll Gardens, and and I mean, he was he was an, an, an old man when he passed away, and and local Italian guy had lived in the neighborhood since mm-hmm. he was a, a, a kid, and it was at Scotto's funeral home back when Scotto's funeral home was a funeral. Oh home. my god, I have a story about that after this. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and and it was an open casket. Thing and I, I, it was the first and only open casket thing I've been to. Yeah, we're not used to that in the Jewish culture. That is an understatement. Yeah, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's jarring for someone who's never mm-hmm. done it before. I mean, I don't know what it's like for somebody who has done yeah, it before. Yeah, I, it's, I agree. I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, but again. Yeah. People deal with it in in different ways, and they life do. is messy. And, <laughs> and if that's if that works for people, then then that's great. Totally. I mean, I was talking the other day to a friend. There's this woman who wrote um, a book. She she has a, a podcast called Ask Mortician, and she's a mortician. Uh, Caitlin Doherty. She's awesome. Cool. It's cool. Her books are cool, and she talks very openly about death and dying and cutting open bodies and picking up you know babies and a hearse and all this kind of really intense stuff. And for her, it's just. It's every day. It's her life. It's her work. She does it every day. She's dead bodies every day. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then I was like, you know, when my dad died, uh, I accidentally went into the room where his body was because they said it wasn't in there. And I saw his arm and he was under a sheet. And it terrified me. It scared me so much. And I, it's one of the things that I wrestle with to this day is guilt around why didn't I just go in there yeah. and face my fear and and hold my dad's hand and spend the last minute? And even thinking about doing yeah. it is terrifying to me. And then I was saying to the same friend, I was like, but I'm a chef. And I have peeled the skin off of dozens of pigs' faces, maybe even hundreds, because we used to make our own pork out of detesta. And in... <laughs> I wouldn't think for a second about breaking down a pig or peeling all the skin, including including its you know nose and ears off its face and looking in its eyeballs. It doesn't even bother me at all. But I think people just have these levels of what you know disturbs them. Well, in let's some talk way. about well, when it's someone you love. First of all, it's different. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. if, if, if right. it was your pet pig, you might feel you're differently right. yeah, about yeah, yeah. that but too. But it's like talking yeah. about death right. denying culture in hospitals. They it's always been the thing people die in hospitals and they whisk away the body yeah you know part I, of i yeah. was i was yeah. a whisker wow. you were a whisker? i was a whisker i was wow. when i <laughs> oh was oh my god you know how you need to do community service when <laughs> yeah. you're when you're 15 or sure, 16 to sure. look good on your college yeah. transcripts and whatnot oh my god i volunteered at new york hospital at new york cornell i did volunteered as an escort and <gasps> i bring people from their cat scans back to the rooms and this and that and a very regular part of my job was bringing Bodies to the morgue. At 15 years old? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was pretty wild. They make noise. Oh, my God. You know, I've been in an elevator alone with multiple dead people. But you know what's so interesting? Like, why is that scary? But my point to bringing this up, that's what I want to say, is that my point to bringing this up is that in working in hospice, it's very different. Because I worked in home hospice. And the same with a, 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 a hospice facility. You have time to spend time with the person who's died after they die. Yeah, you could mm-hmm. spend the whole day with them. There's no that seems requirement. Like a little much. And there's, well, it's not. I'm just kidding. It's I'm, not. I know it's not funny because <laughs> just, you know sometimes you, no, it's not much. It's and everything. What people is, do yeah. sometimes, and actually in the Jewish tradition, um, the body after it dies is bathed. It is a certain way yeah. of bathing it and clothing it uh, in preparation. Totally. But the family does it. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful it thing, is. and it's so opposite of what the whisking. You know, yeah, sure. whisking away. Yeah, 
It's, I can't. I still can't believe you did, did that. Did you guys see the movie uh, The Farewell? Not yes. yet, but I can't wait. I did. Um, yes. it, it's interesting how dealt how death is dealt with, or at least how dying the process yes. of dying is, yeah. is is dealt with in, in that movie. Right. Um, and I, I heard all sorts of interviews on NPR mm-hmm. about it, right. and and um, how they hide hide dying from the dying. Exactly. Right. exactly. I, yeah, I did see the preview. So I know. What a yeah. shame! Oh, because nobody terrible. gets to talk about. It. I always remember yeah. I, when I first started working in this um, field. Uh, I was a chef, by the way, first, and then I became a social worker after that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, my first job was at Stony Brook Hospital on the oncology floor, and I remember talking to this woman once, and she said to me, you know, I don't want you to tell my daughter that I'm dying. Please, please don't tell her. And then I met the daughter, and she said, please don't tell my mother that she's dying. Oh, my God. And I realized, now, it wasn't my job to tell either one of them. But it was my job to try to bring them together so they could tell each other. Yeah. Because what a loss otherwise. What a terrible loss not to have that time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And going back, we we were talking earlier about um, how the person who's mourning or the people who are mourning sort of really should be the ones sort of, everyone should take their cues from them at at how it should go. I, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I know that I know what I want my funeral and everything to look like. What, um, it's a share? bummer that I'm not going to be there because it's going to be <laughs> well. You might awesome. be. We, who knows? Um, Tell us. Who knows? Tell us. Um, I, I I want um, I want a full orchestra and and inquired performing Mozart's Requiem. That's amazing. <laughs> and and um, That's early, incredible. At the very least, the first movement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, I don't know, the whole Viking funeral thing seems kind of oh, cool. Oh, that's amazing. That's mm. incredible tradition of lighting someone on fire and pushing that into But the then street. I can't be donated to, to science, which I think is more important. Uh, that is know. true. And what foods would be served at your funeral? Oh, I mean Chinese food. <laughs> I mean, yeah. which is, that's uh, uh, Jewish food, essentially, right? Yeah. Right, oh, right exactly. yeah. Um, there would definitely be, it would, it would be a... a Chinese feast and it would be at like a dim sum banquet hall (laughs) I'm like finding myself (laughs) wishing for you to die (laughs) hey listen we can can go eat Chinese food anytime you want there's pretty much never a day where I don't want to eat Chinese food Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm actually more Jewish than I thought this episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
as a hospice worker, I had um, somebody who was Native American in my, in my mm -hmm. uh, and we, in his dying, he asked to be rattled. So we had rattles and we all moved around oh, him. Wow. And I was a social worker at the time, not a friend. And then the funeral was very interesting. It was, I guess, a traditional Native American funeral where they had three pyres mm. and one pyre, three fires, and this was in his backyard. Wow. So one fire was all the things that he loved, and he loved yoga, and he loved painting, and so they threw the paintbrushes and the paint and the yoga mats into the fire. Everything went into the oh, fire. Oh, wow. The next fire was all the foods that he liked, and they threw hamburgers and wow. whatever he ate. Everything went into the fire, That's all his awesome. favorite foods. That's really cool. And then the next fire was the fire that he went into. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It was really sad. That's a That's a pretty cool yeah. tradition, actually. Yeah, that's a really I mean, great tradition. You know, the whole thing now is whether we can create our own funerals. And there's a movement in not only creating your own burials, and there are certain um, burial grounds now where you can do a green burial. Yeah. But there's ones where you can have not only your own funerals, but the you don't have to go to funeral homes. And actually, mm -hmm. I have a friend and somebody you know uh, who's a nurse practitioner, and she's been part of this movement of creating your own funerals. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. The idea of a funeral home is, Ugh. is, uh, Ugh. yeah. Oh man. It's, they're, it's dark. They're really, they're, they're dark. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. I mean, Carol Gardens, I mean, there was a, uh, up until a few years ago, there was a lot of funeral homes. A lot homes. of funeral homes. I wonder what happened, like if they got consolidated. Well, I, by I think all the old neighborhood Italians are, we're getting older and, yeah. you know, now it's a yuppie neighborhood. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and nobody ever dies. You know, <laughs> I'm, we're waiting for like Riverside Memorial Chapels to open, a, yeah. a, you know, a Jewish one in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, um, I have a question, Peter, and this an is about bagels. Okay. <laughs> and one thing that you were talking about, and uh, mom, you wrote this down in your notes about the Shiva's bagels and how it represents kind of like an Ouroboro almost like the circle of life, the endings and beginnings together. Is that true of bagels? Wow. I, I never considered it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm sure that you could make a really good argument for that to be true. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I did a show, a episode of Life's Bank once on bagels. And I remember that being a thing that they were talking about. Um, what about the hole? What's that all about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's the hole in your heart. <laughs> I think the hole is so they can carry them on a stick back I, in the day. It, might, it very yeah. well it probably is that. Yeah. And uh, since they don't do that anymore, there is rarely a hole in bagels anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, do we, you know the we, origin of bagels? Um, it's interesting. They, I, it's a, there are Syrian bagels um, and there are Israeli bagels. Yeah. Um, you know, it was brought to the United States by Eastern European immigrants. Yeah. Polish, um, I think. So, I mean, we, you know, Polish definitely brought the Bialy. Mm. Um, right. which, and the funk. And, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you should know this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bialy guy, personally. I, have, oh, I, I, I love I, a Bialy. I, will, yeah. I would rather eat a Bialy yeah. any day of the week instead of a bagel. I like a Bialy. Okay. I mean, I love a Bialy. I don't know if I'd rather eat it than a bagel. That being said, I never eat bagels. I'd rather smoke salmon on a Bialy. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Now let's get into this. This is really what I'm interested in knowing. What is, of all the bagels that you make, all your delicious bagel combinations, really you have everybody's dream, or at least everyone in this room's dream, at your disposal, at your fingertips. You can make the most delicious bagel combination at any moment of the day. What do you What do? You do? Um, wow. Uh, 
That's a tough call. I mean, if it's on a bagel, mm-hmm. if it's on a bagel, I'm a classicist. I love a sesame bagel with cream cheese and... What kind of cream cheese? A plain. Okay. I love a, a, a sesame bagel with plain, not toasted, because mm-hmm. a bagel should not be toasted. Oh, com- no, don't say I that. completely agree. A toasted bagel has uh, no the, place the, in the, my life. The defining, <laughs> the defining characteristic, the defining feature of a bagel is the competing texture between the crust on the outside and a dense, chewy I interior. I completely agree. And when you toast it, you're... you're adding another layer of crust that's not supposed to be there and you're softening it. A bagel shouldn't be soft. Mm. A, yes. a New York City bagel is 450 calories before you put anything on it. That's you better, a lot. You better damn well start burning those calories just by <laughs> masticating. So it's got to be chewy. Um, um, but uh, I'd say, uh, let's. Uh, I can only use my, my shop as an example. My favorite combination of things, it's funny, I have a sandwich named after myself. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, something that I used to create when I was an 11-year-old kid. I would, I would put, it was a, a virtually burnt Bialy, because Bialy should okay, be Okay, okay. Burnt. Like a carbonized Bialy, scallion cream cheese, mm-hmm. Nova, a slice of sable, and uh, pickled herring with uh, cream sauce and onions. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's a little much. Like, <laughs> as an adult, I taste it, and I'm like, ah. I mean, it's really good, but it's, it's, good. it's, a, it's a lot going on on there. Um, my my favorite thing, I think, right now, we have a sandwich we call the Great Gatsby. Ooh. Um, it's not on a bagel. We serve it on caraway seeded rye. Yum. Hence the name, the Gatsby, mm-hmm. the, ref, the literary reference. Love it. Um, and it's pastrami smoked salmon with horseradish cream cheese, honey mustard, and red onion. <gasps> Did and you it's bring a, one in your pocket? It's dope. <laughs> it's such a it's such a dope sandwich. I love that. I love it so Ooh, much. Oh, that sounds good. That's amazing. I'm someone who likes white fish with mm-hmm. scallion cream cheese. I realize that's a lot of, um, of mush. mush. Uh, tomato. Red onion for a little bit of a crunch and like a pickle. Like you have those delicious pickles there at the shop. Those pickled we cucumbers do. or whatever the, the, the cucumber cu- salad. Yeah, the cucumber salad, which that's I always, a good combination. I like that. Next time you get it, you should ask for some of the fried, the crispy fried onions that we have because <gasps> we put those on other sandwiches fried and onions? they're like the ones from Chinatown. You know, oh, in, the, no. in the jar. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That would make that sandwich less mushy. Oh, yum! Crunch, um, crunch. Well, this is making me feel less depressed. I was I know. depressed no, when I really. came in, and I'm. Oh, you know, the, the other thing we didn't talk about and I, that's my Jeez. fault I neglected to mention um, there are those people that don't want to do fish at their shiva oh, so yeah, they're so like I'm all about the pastrami corned beef and tongue Okay. Um, so okay. we do quite a bit of that as well nice. um, it should be good for a crowd Easy to serve. Easy, easy to, to serve. Cut the cut everything yeah. in quarters. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's awesome. I, I prefer not to offer people pastrami for that, just because the pastrami is so well marbled. Yeah. And the sandwiches in that way will be cold and yeah, cold yeah. fat is kind of meh. yeah. Um, but the corned beef is, is certainly more lean, That's awesome. and tongue is great either hot oh or cold. God. I love tongue. I'm a I'm a big when I was a, a kid and I would go on a field trip. My yeah. mother would ask me what I wanted. Uh, for a packed lunch and I'd be like a tongue sandwich and a celery. Yeah, wow. And she'd that be like, is very Jewish. Are you? What are you, like an 80-year-old Jewish man? Why do you like celery and tongue? That's hilarious. Um, and now I have an 8-year-old who absolutely loves tongue sandwiches. That's awesome. Which is awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, this was a great episode, you guys, and I want to just wrap it up by telling you my experience at Scotto's Funeral Home. Oh, I I've can't wait. I've <laughs> wanted to hear this. And I'm... So I, when I decided I was going to tell you, I was like, I'm going to save this for the very end. This is awesome. Um, so Brucey was up the road. My former restaurant was up the road from Scotto's Funeral Home. And I'd often need to go get things notarized. You know, you find yourself in terrible trouble all the time or like needing to just a notary immediately. I notarized something yesterday. Right. So the notary, closest one, was at Scotto's funeral home. (laughs) And it was the undertaker's son who was 
the notary. And that place was a classic, I mean, ripped out of like the most classic, amazing Italian American, gaudy, everything from the, it was really a cool place. And I'm terribly sad that it's not there anymore because it was really a treasure of the neighborhood. Uh, And the family that owned it was the most classic Italian American people. The, The father was like a Joe Pesci type. And they had this big giant guy who worked there as the driver of the hearse who was like, you know, so huge and just really nice and friendly. And the son was the undertaker. And he was probably about 50 or something like that. So the first time I go in there, I'm I'm in there and I'm poking around. I go, hello? Hello? Is anyone here? And I poke him looking downstairs and you can see the light shining from where they do the embalming. And I go, hello, I'm here for to get something notarized. And this man walks upstairs and he's wearing a tank top and Tasmanian devil uh, pajama pants. Oh my God. And he's covered completely all over in Grim Reaper tattoos. <laughs> oh my God. Really? Yes. Covered in Grim <laughs> Reaper tattoos. And it's just That's me fantastic. and him. Super nice guy. He's the undertaker. He obviously likes to undertake and embalm bodies in Tasmanian. Tasmanian. Did he smell like formaldehyde? Absolutely. He was lovely. I can't say as many nice things about him, but he was covered in Grim Reaper tattoos, which Whoa. is shocking to see on right. anybody, especially someone who's yeah. just hanging out with a bunch of, you know, dead old Italian folks from the block. God knows. Wow. Yeah. Well, incidentally, if any listeners are curious as to what this building we're describing looks like, it is Martha's apartment building in the Americans in season in the first couple oh, seasons totally. of the Americans. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. <laughs> That's the outside of the building. Yeah. Oh, yep. It's a really that is true. It's a crazy place. My wife works in that building now. She does. She does. Oh my god. She does. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, this was a great episode, and it was so fun. It was and thank a lot you of fun. for your insight on you know Jewish food and Jewish cooking and please uh, is there where can we follow you on um, Instagram um, you, whatever it's, it's uh, Shelsky's it's Shelsky's okay. on Instagram it's Shelsky underscore S actually okay. on cool. Instagram awesome and tell us a little bit about just quickly about the bagel shop is on 4th the Avenue the bagel shop is on the Park Slope side of 4th Avenue okay um, and the, on the corner of 10th Street cool. and uh, you can get there on the F or G train awesome. um, or the R train and uh, yeah come have a Szechuan peppercorn bagel Ooh. Um, that sounds so good. It's, you know. That sounds delicious. Um, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of everything you do. I think that uh, it takes such attention to detail to run an appetizing shop. Everything's perishable and everything has to be perfect and everything, you know, it's a big deal. Like I have a lot of respect for people who work with fish, butchers, you know, cheesemongers, stuff like that. But your shop is amazing. I've loved it since the Thank second you. it opened. It's so cool. Please, everybody... Make sure to get there, whether you're, you know, hosting, having a shiva, going to or, a shiva. Or a bris. We do beginning of life, you know, oh. snip 20% of your kid's dick off and you eat locks. You eat the same thing at the beginning at the end. So, And at the middle for the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Exactly. So. It's applicable in any situation. Really. Exactly. You're just love locks. Okay? Am I right, and ladies? We're, and we're going into caviar season. I'd be, I'd oh, be you know, that's amazing. So Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, obviously we'll be stopping by really soon. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Was it was my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having Peter. me, ladies. Take care. It was Thanks, so much Peter. fun. All right, guys. So we hope that you enjoyed that episode with Peter. I really had a, actually a really good time. I mean, I have a good time in all our interviews, but this one had a lightheartedness to it, it that did. you know some of the other episodes don't for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I really had a great time. Yes, a great time talking about a serious subject. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so we talked about Shiva. 
One of the most popular things that you're going to find at any Shiva is going to be bagels and locks. Am I correct? Now, I just wanted to do a really quick uh, history of the bagel. Mm. Um, it's kind of, you know, we don't know exactly where it came from. There's a couple of ideas, and it definitely evolved over, you know, thousands of years, honestly. Some people say uh, they saw, they were on the Silk Road in China. Um, a lot of people believe that they kind of turned up in Poland in the 1600s. I did a whole episode on my other show, Life's mm. a Banquet, about oh. bagels oh. and locks. If, you, if mm. anyone wants to know more, you can get, go reference that. Um, but I'm just going to read a couple of things that I thought were fun. So Ed Levine for the New York Times says in an article, a ba- quote, a bagel is a round bread made of simple, elegant ingredients, high gluten flour, salt, water, yeast, and malt. Its dough is boiled, then baked, <clears throat> and the result should be a rich caramel color. It should not be a pale or blonde. A bagel should weigh about four ounces or less and should make a slight crackling sound when you bite into it. And as Peter said in the show, never toast it, which mm. I disagreed with. Never toasted. A fresh, nice bagel. I mean, I do understand the appeal of the toasting. However, this is where toasting goes down for me. I don't like a melted cream cheese. Mm, melted cream no. cheese. I mean, you know what? I shouldn't say I don't like it. I basically like everything. But if I was to right. craft my perfect bagel eating experience, it would be an untoasted with cream cheese that remained firm. And not too, too much of it. I don't like when you have to squeeze it off, you know. <laughs> Anyway, I was going to ask you at the end of this what your paper bagel type is. Um, So then I read this article in The Atlantic that was a very deep dive into the history of uh, bagels. And I'm just going to pretty much quote what they said. Quote, Poland, uh, in Poland, there's a, as the theory goes, the German breads morphed into a round roll with a hole in the middle that came to be known in Poland as an, please excuse my pronunciation of butchering of this, an obwarzanek. Written records of them appear as early as the 14th, uh, 14th century. Other versions date to the first bagels to the late 17th century in Austria, saying that bagels were invented in 1683 by a Viennese baker trying to pay tribute to the king of Poland. Given that the king was famous for his love of horses, the baker decided to shape the dough into a circle that looked like a stirrup or beugel, B-E-U-G-E-L in German. Huh. The bagel, as a Jewish food, really came of age during the era of the Polish history known as the nobles' democracy. While intolerance and conflicted and conflict reigned elsewhere, Poland was probably permitted uh, as the country for tolerance, acceptance, and education, and understanding. Unlike almost every other country in Europe, Poles identified themselves as citizens of their country rather than any divisive framework based on religious ethnic or linguistic origins. The mindset created an environment where Jews were first allowed the opportunity to bake and then sell bread of which bagels were an integral part. Interesting. I don't know if you know this, but I have a lot of personal connection to bagels. Yes. In several different ways. Well, you told us the story about the bagel baker. But I'm going to tell you three different ways that I'm connected. Please. First of all, my husband Rob's cousin moved from uh, New York here where he loved bagels and moved to Port Townsend, Washington, which is at the end, the edge of the furthest, furthest place in the Olympia coast. Wow. And he set up a bagel bakery. Oh, my gosh. And there was no other bagels in all of the area, and he would deliver them all around Washington. And So that's one way that I'm connected to bagels. Awesome. Other way is that my brother, who has passed uh, in some years, uh, was a bagel baker in Brooklyn during the 60s. And... He baked many bagels, and his father 
was the head of the bagel union That's in the amazing. 40s. Oh so, my gosh. Now, one thing that I want you to understand is that bagels are different in different states because of the water. Oh, I, that, is the, I don't, yes. that is a rumor. Yeah, and it's true. You're sure of it? Absolutely true. So people, when I lived in Florida, people would ask me to bring, when I went to New York, they'd ask me to bring bagels down to Florida. Yeah. Because the bagels are different in Florida. Yeah. They're not as good. Totally. It's the water. That's what they say about pizza and bagels. I, you know what? I think there's some people that say it's true and some people that say it isn't true. It makes sense to me. I'm going to go with it. What's your go-to bagel order? What's your dream bagel? Well, I was just actually reading in the Huffington Post today. They had a study on bagels and what are the favorite bagels in different states. Okay. Everything bagel is the favorite bagel. Yeah. It is my favorite bagel. Of course. Um, I now don't eat dairy, so I put chevre cheese on a bagel. Okay. And I love lox. Give me lox, lox, Yum. lox with some onions and some capers, and I'm a happy girl. That sounds delicious. Um, I'm going to put you on to something, though. One thing that can be better than the everything bagel is the everything pumpernickel bagel. Uh, it's a step up. It's crazy. Sounds great. Um, my go-to bagel order is an everything pumpernickel bagel, untoasted, with scallion cream cheese and whitefish salad and tomato and onions, lots of dill and some cucumbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm actually salivating. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was a great interview. Uh, it was fun. It was informative. And it was great to, as always, to spend time with you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at Processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.